G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. For most of us, our personal identity is often shaped by the sort of work we do. Well, of course, we are shaped by our parents and by our wider family, of course, by our education and by the social circles that we mix in. But how much of our personal identity do we want to leave to chance when, as Christian believers... We know that our identity ought to be formed in relation to Christ. Well, a wonderful opportunity today to talk about what we might call a professional identity, the way that our work shapes us. And our special guest this hour is Dr. Ernest Crocker, an author, a speaker, physician and photographer. He lives in Sydney. In fact, he was the founding director of nuclear medicine at and ultrasound at Westmead Hospital. And he is the New South Wales State Chair of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. He has all sorts of great interests, and we'll talk about lots of things this coming hour, but we're going to focus on professional identity. I want to make a special welcome to 2020 to you, Dr. Ernest Crocker. Well, thank you, Neil. It's wonderful to be talking with you. Ernest, when we talk about professional identity, and, you know, I've just introduced you and uh, said some wonderful things that you've been involved in, uh, your identity often is formed by the things that have shaped us by the way of our education, and our career choice comes into here, and our work does begin to shape us. Uh, give us your thoughts on what we, when we talk about professional identity, what does that all mean? Look, I think, Neil, before we even talk about professional identity, we have to talk about personal identity. And uh, I'm a nuclear medicine doctor, as you've said, which means your, your listeners won't understand that possibly, but I work in nuclear medicine where you inject radioisotopes into patients to do scans. It might be a bone scan or a heart scan, or a thyroid scan. I'm sure many of them have had those. And uh, quite often I find myself doing... <clears throat> bone scans on patients that have come in they're usually men they're clinging to their wives they're in they're a bit teary <clears throat> they're demanding a, a bone scan because they've just found out they have cancer of the prostate and uh, i have the opportunity of doing that scan to make sure there's been no spread into their bones and uh, at the end of the day i will do the study i will talk to them and hopefully it will be negative and if it's negative i'll say look jim You've had some bad days lately, haven't you? And they'll say yes. And they may well be bitteria at that stage. I'll say, well, look, Jim, today's a good day. And I'm, I'm encouraging that identity. But the problem with personal identity, Neil, is it can be snatched away in an instant. And I see that every day. I see patients that come in, they've just had a heart attack. They're disheartened. They're no longer the fit person they thought they were. Um, their wife has left them. All of a sudden, their, their marriage is broken up. Their marriage and identity is gone. Their kids have gone off the rails, and they don't know what to do about it. And Or their health is gone, as we just said. So identity is based on experience. <clears throat> identity is based on, on even on profession, but on our health, on the club we belong to, the football team we follow. 
are transient and they can be snatched away just like that. Now, when I was leaving Westmead Hospital to start up a big private practice, um, I went through a bit of an identity crisis. Uh, one moment I was director of nuclear medicine at Westmead Hospital. I had my name on the door. Um, I was being invited to give talks all around the world. Um, I'd written 70 peer-reviewed publications that were well-respected. And all of a sudden, I was nobody. All of a sudden, I was out there trying to start up a practice. And the reason I did that, Neil, was I wanted to spend more time in China on short-term outreach. And I knew I couldn't do that if I stayed in the public system. I had the flu. It was a July, and I felt terrible. But I decided I'd better go to church on the Sunday night. The speaker, as it happened that night, was a man called Jack Hayford. Now, have you heard of Jack Hayford? Well, I've heard of Jack Hayford, and many of our listeners uh, will know that name too. Yeah, he's from the Church on the Way in California, and he'd written many, one, many of the wonderful early Christian songs. Uh, so I went along to hear Neil and actually to try and have a yarn with him about a friend of mine in California that I was worried about. But that night he said, now, he said, each of you have spiritual eyes and each of you have spiritual ears. Tonight we're going to ask God to open those spiritual eyes and open those spiritual ears. I thought, well, that's a bit odd because for years I've been asking God to give me spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. So he said, if you want God to do that, I'd like you to stand now and I'll pray for you. So I felt this, I found myself standing. And as he prayed, Neil, God spoke to me and God said this, not audibly, but that quiet, small voice that we always know, it's from, out, from left field, we're always aware that it's God. And he said, you are Ern Crocker, my beloved son. Full stop. Full stop. Mm. And that <clears throat> became my personal identity from that point on. And <clears throat> I realized, Neil, sorry, I have to have a sip of water, I think. That's okay. I realized that night <clears throat> that that identity is permanent. It can never, ever be taken away, no matter what happens. No matter if we have cancer, no matter if the world falls apart, we can never lose that personal identity. And, and wonderful to hear identity. this. Uh, wonderful to hear this story. And uh, you, you've got a wonderful way of communicating. And uh, some people will say, "Well, this is this sort of bedside manner that doctors have." And uh, I'm really enjoying the way that you are able to share these sorts of things, uh, when you tell your own story like that, and I'm picturing you standing in that meeting that night, and for a lot of people, the way that their identity is shaped and formed, and as you say, they have a professional identity, they're important, they've got the name on the door, sometimes the pride of that personal identity gets in the way of even attending that meeting. Uh, or when the oh, or when the minister makes that call to stand, uh, uh, won't stand because uh, you know because oh I'm an important person. Why would I humble myself before God like this? Uh, but there there is an issue of humility here, isn't there? And you went to well, church that to night, and you decided that you would stand and you would humble yourself before God and recognize your eyes and ears being opened to a new way of looking at identity. Well, that's right, Neil. And from that point on, I then went on to open the private practice. But I knew I was doing so not as just Ern Crocker, ex-director at Westmead Hospital, but as Ern Crocker, doctor, but very much loved son of Jesus Christ, uh, Father God. I went to my potential partner, who was not a Christian at the time. He is now. And I said, Tony, if we're to open this practice, it's got to be dedicated to God. And he said, OK, let's do it. And he did. And I have to say that 20 years later, 
Tony has come to the Lord, which has just been the, one of the best things in my life. But the practice thrived. We ended up with five practices in the western suburbs of Sydney. Uh, we were known as Crocker and Walker. We are known by our, our, our name rather than the name of our company. And, uh, and we sort of thrived, and I thrived in that new identity. I was known as a, a man that you could trust, a man you could ring, a man that would help you. And that became my professional identity. But well, I've come to understand it's more than that. Professional identity is more than that. Um, because I believe now, and it's only in the last few years, Neil, you know there are steps in our lives. The steps in my life, I guess, are accepting Jesus as a child, understanding him as a, a loving father in my 20s, a little bit later, understanding the value of the Holy Spirit in my life, uh, the next thing was identity, and the final thing, the hardest thing of all to learn is trust, uh, trusting in God. And I think some of you, some of your listeners, might be able to identify with this. But in terms of professional identity, I've found that my professional identity must be submitted to my relationship with God. It must be submitted to my relationship. It must be put under the control of of, of my identity as a son of God. And that does all sorts of things. Um, it extends me. It doesn't diminish me. It doesn't restrict me. Now, there's a scriptural example for this. Um, Peter, when he was washing his nets, Jesus came on the beach. And he caught no fish. And uh, Jesus said, put out the boat again. And Peter said, come on, you know, we've been fishing all night. It's the best time to fish. I know what I'm doing. I'm a professional fisherman. <laughs> And Jesus said, put out your nets, put out the boat. And he did. We all know what happened. The boat filled with fish and almost sank. So Peter was prepared to submit his professional pride in what he did, his experience and learning as a fisherman to Jesus. And in so doing, he was mightily extended and his life was changed. Now, I found that as a doctor. Uh, it also applies to lawyers, bankers, plumbers, anything you like, because... Once you know that, as a Christian, God has placed you in a position, he's trained you for this, and I know this, and I'll know that from my life story if I get a chance to tell it, but once you do that, you'll find that he then extends you. A lot of doctors are frightened to do that because they think, well, if I just do the Christian thing, I'll, I'll be diminished. I won't be able to do this. I'll, I'll be restricted. But not at all. You know, Neil... I found in the last five years, yes, I've been ministering in Corobican Prison in Bali, as we may talk about. I've been working under coconut trees in Cambodia and and, uh, and Vietnam. Um, and these are things I never would have dreamt of doing years ago. So God has really extended my my value. I even worked as a dentist in Cambodia for two <laughs> weeks when I needed another dentist. These are things way, way outside of my known skill set. God has extended me. And I think no matter what our profession, I don't care who you are out there, I don't care what you do, I really don't care what you do, your businessmen sitting in your cars listening, or lawyers on the way to work, or architects, if you submit your professional identity to God, he will extend you in ways that you've never begun to imagine. Oh, it's one of these things in our faith, Earn, that sounds like it's contradictory to the way we have been shaped in our upbringing. It does a bit. The idea that uh, I'm going to lose something, 
of my own personal identity, lose something of myself uh, and exchange that for an identity in Christ. But what you're sharing, and I know listeners, uh, this will be striking a chord in hearts, uh, listeners right across the nation, that the identity in Christ is not a diminishing of yourself. It is a completing of yourself. And, That's right. And as, as you say, uh, when you have your identity formed because of your position or your financial status, the successes of your life, uh, the grades you got at school or university, uh, uh, what you look like, uh, all of those things, all of those things uh, amount to nothing when you experience right. a failure or when you lose some favor or you change career. But yeah. what stays with you in your identity in Christ uh, is, can never be taken from you. And uh, the way that God sees you is much more significant than anything we could even say or try and do to, uh, to in- improve our own selves. Uh, oh, yes. You've described that wonderfully. Yes. And people often ask me, and this is a difficult question. I really had to think about, does being a Christian make you a better doctor? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's <laughs> a, a good question. question. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I'm going to answer it. Um, it's, there, there are many wonderful doctors that I know. Uh, many are Christians, many aren't. And many of them have skill sets far beyond me. And, uh, but I can only talk from my own experience. And, and that's, what, that's what I would do. Now, in that I'm a Christian, I know that Christ lives in me. And I can extend the hand of Christ in my practice. I can reach out to love people. I can reach out to be sensitive to their needs. Um, also, because I'm a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit, which God gifted to me, Jesus gifted to me. Um, I can have courage in difficult times. Um, when, when things really get tight, you know, I, I, I can dig into God, I can go into his high tower and I can ask for that courage. Because courage is not a, just a good idea, is it, Neil? Courage is a command. That's right. Uh, Joshua, in Joshua 1, 9, I think it is, Have I not commanded you, be therefore courageous, for I, the Lord, will be with you wherever you go. So I have that courage that helps me through. And there are really difficult times in medicine. Um, you sit there all day just listening to problem after problem after problem, which is what all doctors do. Um, some of them life-threatening. You often need courage you know, to, to intervene. And some of the tests we do are not without risk. You, know, you need courage for those as well. And there are times, too, where um, you just need extra wisdom. You know, I'll be doing an echocardiogram, and I'll think, I can't find it, you know, and I'll just say, Lord, show me what the problem is, and he will. And I've had country surgeons say to me, I'm doing a different, difficult appendix, and I, I can't find the thing, and I, I have to send up a little prayer, and, and there it is, you know. So there are many ways that being a Christian doctor, you're, you're really blessed. A Biblical Perspective on Life, Culture and Current Events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Well, if you're just joining us, a wonderful conversation all about professional identity. And our special guest is Dr. Ernest Crocker, uh, author, speaker, physician and photographer. He's the New South Wales State Chair of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. Ernest, we'll take some calls in just a few moments. Uh, But let me just ask you if we can reinforce this idea that whatever it is that shapes your identity is very fragile because when a crisis strikes, uh, your identity in Christ is going to be the only thing that sometimes you can hold on to. Uh, the strength of this identity is 
is uh, I wonder whether you can give us your impression about just how strong it is to have your identity in Christ and not in all of these things of this world. Well, let me give you an example. Um, a few years back, uh, my niece's nephew, Elliot, young Elliot, six weeks of age, um, was diagnosed as having terrible congenital heart disease. He was taken to the doctor as he was not thriving at six weeks. He hadn't passed his birth weight. He had two terrible conditions, one called coarctation of the aorta, where the heart just keeps pumping blood round and round through the lungs, and a, and a hole in the heart, a ventricular septal defect. They said if he wasn't operated on within 48 hours, he would die. So we, pro- we got him down to Children's Hospital, sat around him the night before, prayed for him and uh, the next he looked like a happy little child and the next day he went to surgery I had a phone call at three that afternoon to say surgery had been a success but one hour one hour after surgery his heart had stopped beating mm. they'd worked on him for half an hour to no avail and they'd put him on a pump but he had no heartbeat so we all got down to the hospital very quickly we sat around in that waiting room outside the intensive care unit and we prayed his uncle, who is Matty Crocker, who wrote, who's a, who writes for Hillsong, um, had written a wonderful song called Oceans Deep, which you may have heard of. And we took the words from Oceans Deep. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fall, fail, and there I find you in the mystery, in Oceans Deep my faith will stand. So we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for three days that little boy had no heartbeat. No heartbeat at all. And then on the fourth day, just a flicker. Just a flicker. And the Bible says, when your prayers are answered, keep praying. Um, because and it's something it says, pray for rain in the times of rain. So it doesn't stop just because it's raining. And that's pretty relevant to Queensland right now, isn't it? And New anyway, South Wales and Victoria. Did, <laughs> his heart did start to beat yeah. again. But then it started to hemorrhage at midnight. And he was bleeding to death at 57 mils of blood an hour. So 15 people gathered around him in the emergency unit and operated on him right there in front of all the other parents that were with their tiny kids. And he came good. He came good. A week later, they closed his chest. And I, as a doctor, I was pretty good at keeping notes, as you have to be. We called him Elliot the Brave because he was a brave little boy. But I wrote in my, my diary, ship's log, HMAS Courageous. Nine days at port, calmer waters after the storm, but still quite squally. Cargo secured, running repairs to be made today, slight change in course, set sail for home. And we prayed that little boy um, back out of hospital. Now he's a thriving little three-year-old boy. And that's what I wrote about in my second book. That's why I wrote about courage, Neil. But, you know, through the, the miracle of modern medicine, with prayer backing, that little boy was saved. So how do you approach this? And that's what you're asking me, isn't it? Mm. I found something very useful as God's high tower. Um, and I think some people will be familiar with the concept of God's high tower. But I would find, in my work at Smeet Hospital, somebody would approach me, with, oh, you've got to do this. It's a real problem. What are we going to do? I don't know. This is happening. And rather than say, well, why don't we do this, I'd back off. And I'd say, I'll get back to you a bit later. And I'd retreat into what I've called God's high tower. I'd go into my room, close the door, sit down, ask for God's peace in the matter, pray about it, 
maybe put on my spiritual armor, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the word which the spirit, sword which the spirit wields, which is the word of God, etc., etc. And I deal with the matter. When I felt I had some answers, then figuratively I'd walk up into the top of that tower and look out, and God would give me oversight as to where I was going, and I could look beyond the problem. When I felt that I was ready, then literally I would sort of move out, go out through the door and meet the problem face on, but now prepared and ready and having, you know, put it all before God and having some answers. Somebody said, when you do that, you can hear God laugh. <laughs> and if you listen carefully, you'll hear him say, it's just not a fair fight. And of course it isn't. Wonderful to hear you sharing these things uh, when you talk about, you know, God's high tower and uh, he's yep. our refuge and our strength. I think you're referring to Psalm 91, uh, yep. one uh, one of those wonderful psalms. Uh, so many listeners yep. uh, will have it almost memorized, at least those opening yep. verses. But what you're saying is when your identity is in Christ, when your identity isn't just wrapped up with your own skills, no. you have a new vantage point. Uh, by which to actually make decisions about life and death, as you're discussing as a doctor. And when you take that new vantage point, uh, you're tapping into the wisdom of God and not just your own limited resource. This is a part of this identity, isn't it, uh, that you don't well, well, rely well, on yes yourself? It is. Yes, it is. And I, 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 my first book was uh, Nine Minutes After Midnight, and... Uh, God showed me in a miraculous way then how he heals uh, when I was really didn't believe that he healed at all. And uh, I then spent most of my life since that time talking to Christian doctors to see, gee, did something like that happen in your life too? But I found that God spoke to them and used them in many ways, extended them in ways that I'd often not even heard of, you know, or thought of in prayer, in their personal life, in surgical skills in, in various ways. Yes, that's right. That's, I believe that strongly. Well, I want to invite listeners to join in our conversation. 1-800-316-316. You might like to contribute. We're talking about professional identity today and uh, perhaps a professional identity that uh, might be on the uh, trajectory to change when you hear the story of Ernest Crocker and talking about what it is to have an identity in Christ. Let's take a call. Anne is on the line from Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along. Hello. How are you? Very Listen, well. Hello, what are your thoughts, Anne? Um, I think, praise the Lord, that he's finally found that because it's really great, you know, to walk in that identity. Five years ago, my mum passed away, and I know that she was old. But the thing is, because I found my identity in Christ, I knew where she was going to go because she was a Christian. Right. And the other thing is, was it just helped me through that whole thing? Because there's many people, I work in a nursing home, and I see death every day. I, I went back uh, a couple of days ago, and I was one lady that I didn't expect to die. She passed away. But the thing mm. is that we've got to find our identity in that. I mean, I work as a cleaner, but my identity is in the fact that I'm a child of God. I've I'm, I'm, I'm in his family. I'm adopted into his family. And so my identity is in him. And what wonderful thoughts. Let's get a response from Ern. Well, I know what you're saying, Anne. And uh, my mother and father died a few years ago. And I, I found it very difficult. But I, I used to go down every week to where they were. And I'd just stand there and I'd pray. And sometimes I'd take some flowers. And one day I was walking down there. 
as I was approaching the grave, God spoke to me, again, not audibly. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but you know when he's speaking to you, and he said, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew that they were fine Christian people, and I knew where they were, and the pressure was off me to keep going there. I go there now and again just for sentimental reasons and because I love them. But, but that's exactly right. They, we have our identity in God, and they did too. We know where they are, and we can deal with these things. I agree with you. What a wonderful and substantial way to talk about how you can see the strength of your identity in Christ uh, when you lose a loved one, or even as Anne is sharing, uh, working uh, in nursing, uh, in the medical profession. It's especially relevant, uh, no doubt, uh, when you are dealing with life and death every day. Anne, thank you so much for contributing your thoughts today here on 2020. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Ruth in Victoria. Hello, Ruth. Welcome along. Thank you so much. How are you this morning? Very well. Hello, Ruth. Ruth, what are your thoughts? Oh, well, um, I think it's absolutely fabulous, everything you're saying. We've got uh, five little grandchildren, and since they were little, I've taught them what they are. I say, you are a gift and a blessing and a treasure pet lamb. That comes from Isaiah 31 and from Psalm 127. And then I made them repeat to me, what are you? And they say, I am a gift and a blessing and a treasure pet lamb. That's what God (laughs) says about you, and that's what Grandma and Grandpa say about you. And then every time we're talking, whatever, I say, now tell me what you are. And then I think when they're in the playground, whatever's happening in their lives, they know who they are because they know what God says about them, and they know what Grandma and Grandpa say about them, and that is who they are. So... um, so just a thought, that, that's what we do. Wonderful anyway. thoughts, Ruth. Uh, let's get a response from Ern. Ern, your well, thoughts from Well, that's wonderful, Ruth. And uh, that's, yes, they do know who they are in Christ, and it's important, so important that you're teaching them at this early age because it will stand by them, you know, as they get older. And they, they should understand that not only who they are, but God is always looking over them. He, he's always with them, you know. He's... You know, it's, an on, it's, it's not just a, are you there? It's uh, God is there all the time. And... and and intervenes in, in sometimes in the most amazing ways that we would never expect. And uh, they, they need to understand this, that God is their friend, their father, will be their empowerer and as their saviour. Jesus is saviour, yeah. Uh, let's come to this issue of identity. Uh, just for those who might be joining us uh, in this conversation, an interesting thing here where our identity starts in God, Earn, uh, yes. We mean that, you know, who we are... Uh, when things go wrong, when the failures happen, like we mentioned, the first thing that comes to mind is our status as someone who's loved by God and created in his image. And so this is like the fallback position for the Christian who has their identity in Christ. And we've been talking about just how substantial and how strong that is compared to all the other sorts of identity. But there's a little bit of an identity crisis going on in Australia, would you say? Uh, what are your thoughts about the way people perhaps in a disconnection from God, uh, looking for their identity in all sorts of other ways. What are your thoughts for how you see Australia at this time and perhaps perceptions of how identity might be missing for some people? Well, I think uh, I think there's so much distraction, Neil. Um, there, there are so many other things. You know, church on Sunday morning there has to compete with sport, uh, television, all sorts of things. Um, and uh, that can be a problem. And... 
I find, you know, often I listen to quiz quiz shows and I find there are questions about the Bible and the quiz shows and most people haven't got a clue about the most basic things. And I think one of the problems is that so few people really understand what the Bible is all about or what God is all about. And I think if they were to press in and and sit on their bed at night... Let me give you an example. Um, A few years ago, um, I was doing a cardiac stress test on a young man and he wasn't that, he was in his 40s. He was covered in tattoos, he had a few body piercings, he had a blue singlet on, and he, he didn't look like the kind of person that would have a heart attack. Um, but they were concerned about him. So I put him on the exercise bike, and he didn't do very well. So I stopped at Pronto and said, I, I better have a look at his heart with ultrasound. So I said, you sit there while we set it up. So um, he was uh, sitting there, and I noticed he was reading a book. And I always notice, I always want to know what the book is. So when I looked over his shoulder, he was reading the Bible. I thought, well, that's a bit odd. And uh, a bit later on, when I was doing the test, I had my arm around him doing the test, and and I said, "Uh, you're reading the Bible? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he said, I've read Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, good books. Ecclesiastes 2, don't understand that one at all. And uh, I said, do you read the Bible often? He said, yeah, he said, me and the missus. He said, we sit on the bed at night and we read the Bible. And I thought, well, that's really strange. And I, I said, do you go to church? He said, oh, no, no, Doc, no, don't, don't go to church. I said, and finally, uh, I'm sitting there completely puzzled. I said, are you a Christian? He said, oh, no, Doc, no, no. I said, why not? He said, you wouldn't understand, Doctor. He said, you don't know what I've done. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And just as well, the lights were out because I had tears running down my face. But he was a young man. You know, he'd, he'd obviously experienced a lot of the world, a lot of worldly distractions. But here he was just sitting on his bed at night with his wife trying to find the truth. You know, and this is what people need to do. If they're really interested, they're really interested in, is there a God? Where am I going? Does anyone really care? Does God care? Does he exist? Look for him. He said, I behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens that door, I will come into him. You know. So, yeah, there's miles of distraction, and we live in a post-truth and, to a large extent, a post-God uh, existence these days. But that doesn't mean that God is any less present than he always was. That's right. Uh, we're taking calls. You might like to contribute to our conversation. one 316 Or leave a note or a comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's take a call from Shelby, who's been waiting patiently. Hello, Shelby. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. Hello, Dr. Ernest. Uh, Hi, Shelby. Um, How are you going, buddy? Yeah, mate. um, You know, um, I'm known within my church in that um, from old days, I was known as Mr. Skyline. I have a collection of old cars. But the other thing now, I'm known as Mr. Uh, Bold and Outgoing uh, Evangelist. Um, I, I'm always I'm always bringing people to church, um, or the minute I see new people turn up at church, I'm straight onto them, um, and you know invite them and, and talk to them and find out um, you know how they're going and all that sort of thing, you know. And it's remarkable. I pray in a prayer of um, rejoicing and a prayer of um, praise, and even in struggling times, um, and um, it's worked for me. Personally, but not only that, it's in my, own, in my own healing. I was knocked by a drunken once, and he hit me twice. He threw me in the air, drove into me a second time, and hit me across the road. Mm. Um, 
and uh, I was quite badly injured. But anyway, cut that short story short. I, I, I love what you're saying and in free forgiveness of people. And I always say to people, um, you know, you can't talk about their, uh, their problems in life or what they've done wrong. You've got to let them bring that out. But when they do, just like you were saying a moment ago, um, then you can say, hey, but you've got free forgiveness. You've got total yes, yes, of course. You know? And, Shelby, uh, good thoughts that you're bringing there. A thought from Ernest. Well, you talk about uh, prayers of praise and, and thanksgiving, Shelby, and I think that's wonderful. I mean, these are not just, these are spiritual weapons that you can use. I mean, along with the name of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, our testimony, and fasting. I mean, these are powerful things that you're doing. And uh, I'm, I'm just so glad you're doing that. Thank you so much, Shelby. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Uh, interesting when you take Shelby's story there and yeah. the way that he is different these days because he has his identity in Christ. Uh, yeah. He's the guy who's always bringing someone to church. He's the guy who sees somebody standing on their own and yeah. he goes up to them and he comforts them. He, uh, he creates a conversation. He welcomes them. He embraces them. This embrace and the way that we change, uh, this is a part of this discovery of this identity in Christ because once we're confident of that identity, uh, everything changes. The way we are uh, in our families, the way we are in our church, and as we're talking about professional identity, the way we are in our careers. Everything changes, Ernest. That's right. An identity implies relationship, and relationship implies communication. I think one thing that's very important to say, not to miss out on saying, is that when when God speaks to us, uh, and we've talked about various ways that he does, uh, it's not just a one-off. It's a dialogue that continues through life. Uh, and, and as that dialogue continues, so our identity, both personal and professional is enhanced and increased and consolidated. You know, I, I can see that in retrospect so clearly now. Ernest, uh, let me ask you about something to do with people who are Christians, who do attend a local church, uh, sometimes perhaps uh, doing that out of a sense of duty, and because yeah. there are, as you say, so many distractions around us. There is a temptation, isn't there? Even for the Christian who is a regular attender in their local church, there's a mm. temptation to pursue a self-focused identity, yeah. whether it's around career or whether it's around money, uh, these sorts of things. Uh, what do you say to Christians who are, you know, they, they, they sort of know that there's an identity in Christ, but somehow or other, looking over the fence, the grass does look green over there because some of the people <laughs> that they, uh, some of the people that they're seeing are what they want to be and, and yet their strength is in their identity in Christ. Uh, the grass is much greener on my side, Neil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and when, look, I was, when I was about 17 or 18, I, I guess I was in that situation. And uh, I attended a, a very fine Anglican church and, uh, here in Sydney. And I, 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 I went to the rector and uh, I was thinking about changing to medicine. And I said, uh, there's got to be more to this Christianity. You know, I come to church, I, I go to fellowship, I love it, but there's got to be more to it. You know, what is it? I mean, what what can take me to the next level of life, you know? He looked at me in a rather puzzled way and uh, directed me to, to John Stott's Basic Christianity, which is a wonderful book, which I'd probably read several times at that stage. But it was, I guess, in those uh, residency years, I found out that there was much more. And 
that's, I guess that's when I came into an understanding of how the Holy Spirit can enhance our life, and that's when the grass really does start to get green and grow along, because you then find, with that understanding and, and moving on in, in just each day, appropriating God's Spirit for wisdom and courage and a counsellor, as Jesus said he would be, so they then lead you into things that are far more exciting, you know, far beyond anything we could ever have imagined. The grass is greener on this side of the fence when you are a Christian believer. Let's take another yep. call. Tony is on the line from Queensland. Hello, Tony. Yep. Oh, hello. How are you going? Very well. Tony, hello, Tony. what are your thoughts? Look, um, both my parents, uh, I got saved about 35 years ago, and uh, I constantly was uh, sharing the gospel with both my parents now. My mother suffered from dementia in the last years of her life. And, uh, you know, we prayed with her. And uh, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about the fact of people suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's actually, you know, praying that prayer, as you would call it, the sinner's prayer, and whether that is something you think is, is real or because of the effect of that on their mind, it may not just be... I mean, I know God's heart is great, but uh, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on it, because there's also a scripture I, I'm aware of in Job 33 that talks about uh, being put on a bed of pain and suffering, and God uh, using that as a sign of, uh, you know, warning them of, uh, of uh, you know, the afterlife, etc. And um, I just wondered what your thoughts were on that. That's all. Both my parents have passed away. Good thoughts, Tony. Um, Let's get a response from Ernest. Well, there's a wonderful book written by a, a guy called Sachs, who is a British neurologist. He died recently, but he wrote a book called The Man That Mistook His, his Wife for a Hat, <laughs> or His Hat for a Wife, I can't remember, but you can still find it. And he talks about interesting cases, and he had one case of a man that had suffered brain injury, that couldn't remember anything beyond the day he had the brain injury and everything every was new every day to him. He had perfect memory during the war, of the war years, but he had absolutely no concept of where he was now, who he was, whatever. He was totally out there. Except, Dr. Sachs said, when he went to chapel. When he went to chapel, he was absolutely uh, vividly understood and communicated. He was able to say the prayers. He was able to pray. He communicated with God. He was a different person. And I, I mean, sure, um, dementia is a real problem in our society and becoming more so as people get older. But it's, still people are still able to communicate with God and God to speak into their hearts and lives. I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, not at all. And often, sometimes God can heal. Uh, those uh, mental issues, and, but sometimes he just walks, he, he just overrides them and is able to speak speak through that. It's, it's not a barrier to him, I, I believe. Tony from Queensland, thank you so much for your call. And uh, what comes to mind as I hear Tony talking about uh, seeing others who are going through struggles, uh, this comes back to having our identity in Christ and bringing that courage that you were talking about a little earlier, Ern, mm. coming to the fore. And yeah. as I think of biblical examples, of course you've got Job, who did see all of his family. In fact, he lost his family. 
and uh, was himself uh, at the bottom of wherever you could go. He was there, and and yet because his identity was in God, he was able to say, though he slay me, yet will I rejoice well, I in him. That's right. And there That's is slay. such strength in that identity. Sponsor. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. A fascinating conversation with Dr. Ernest Crocker. We're talking about professional identity and the power and the substance that comes with having an identity in Christ. Because as you said, Ernest, when you're a doctor, it's not that you are just a doctor. You're a Christian doctor, someone who has an identity in Christ. We're taking calls. Let's take one more call. And Erica is on the line from Queensland. Hello, Erica. Welcome along. Hello. A short comment. I was very touched reading the life of a man in the 1950s who got polio and he was put into an iron lung. He was a Christian and he could not move at all. And so all he did was pray. And to think that his identity in Christ helped him through that, you know, really stressful time of huge changes in his life. Erica, wonderful thoughts. Uh, quick response from Ernest. Well, that's, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. Um, interestingly enough, I spoke to a, a close friend of, um, of um, Stephen Hawking um, just uh, last week, and uh, we talked about uh, his atheism, and uh, the friend said, no, he, he wasn't an atheist. He said he kept his bets covered, and uh, he was a man who was totally incapacitated, yet he had he was just holding out a glimmer of a hope that maybe there was something, maybe something to reach out for. But your friend is in an even better situation than that, that he was able to really have an ongoing relationship with Christ uh, through those difficult times. My father, when he was dying, uh, had... Uh, some pain he said to the palliative care doctor doctor why won't uh, why won't god take away the pain and the palliative care said mr crocker he said god's mission is not to take away the pain but to lead you through it but then this doctor was able to administer all the medications that were required to stop the pain so yes there's a real dialogue between people in dire situations and god Thank you so much to Erica from Queensland and a few minutes left in our conversation I wanted to touch on the books that you've written because your first book was Nine Minutes Past Midnight you've got a new book out called When Oceans Roar all dealing with the the courage here Uh, inspiration for these books comes really I guess from this idea of professional identity but not just as a doctor but as one who has an identity in Christ Yes, yes, the first book was written after an experience I had as a, a registrar at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital where I couldn't believe in healing, and God showed me in 24 hours in a miraculous way that he can heal. And that just turned me around for life. I, I, was, I challenged him and uh, one night after church, and I said, if you heal today, you've got to prove it within a week. <laughs> Terrible thing to do. <laughs> and the next day I was called out at night on radio doctor service to see a lady who died before my eyes and uh, I couldn't do anything for her. And as I knelt by her side giving a cardiac resuscitation, that inner voice said, now's the time, now's the time. And you can read it for yourself, but that lady uh, fully recovered. And uh, so that was the first book. The second book, 
God put it on me about courage, and and he put it on me, interestingly enough, the book was published in England, just as all these terrible terror things were happening in England. So I I did a number of radio interviews in the UK by phone and found that it spoke into a lot of their situations. And it followed on from the story we talked about earlier of young Elliot with the heart disease and how we needed courage to get through that. When I finished the book, I thought I finished. But God said, no, you haven't. I thought there was something left to do. And then God put Andrew Chan and Maya Sukumaran on my heart. And I followed that right through, studied it, talked to relatives, talked to Andrew's wife, went up there to Corobican Prison, found out what it was all about. And I have never seen such courage. Andrew Chan was just a marvellous, marvellous man who led Maya Sukumaran to the Lord in the last couple of weeks of his life. And when they were, when they were being walked out to be shot, um, Andrew hugged all the guards who were in tears. He taught the others that would be shot to sing Amazing Grace, and as they walked out, they sang Amazing Grace. They saw the poles where they were to be shot, and they all stopped singing. He said, come on, boys, we can do better than that. They started singing again. They tied them up, and then they sang uh, um, that wonderful song. What is it? I'm just trying to think of it. Oh, yeah, um, uh, 10,000 Reasons. 10,000 Reasons, yes, yes. And in the second verse, they were shot. But and I went up there, and I talked to Matthew, the surviving Bali Nine member, and saw the wonderful job he's doing in the prison and had a chance to talk to them in Corobican Prison. And I said, guys, you're looking in the wrong mirror. You've been looking in the wrong mirror all your lives. You need to look into the face of Jesus and see yourself as he sees you. And that just did so much more good for me than it did for them, Neil. Mm. But, uh, so that's what that book's all about. Yeah. And uh, only a minute or so left, the, <laughs> uh, the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia, your chair of the New South Wales chapter yes. of that. Uh, there are no doubt uh, chapters around Australia. Uh, people connecting with that. So you're looking for people who are working in, uh, in medical and dental uh, industry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> how, do you, how do you connect with people? And do you have like a, an annual conference or something like that? How do you, how do you really uh, uh, connect with them? Uh, the uh, fellowship. Yep, we have state and we have the federal body. We have a, well next year we'll have a, a, a federal conference in Canberra in October. We, every second year we have a state one in each state. Uh, we have supper meetings. Listen, if you if you're hearing this, get to your doctor, pray for your doctor, tell him to sign up because we need him. We, we're getting we want to be one voice for the Christian doctors and dentists in Australia, and, and nurses look like they might be coming into it too now, which is really great. One of, uh, we represent the Christian doctor's voice on euthanasia, on abortion, on sexual dysphoria and those things at the government level. But beyond that, we want to support these doctors, especially the ones that are out there in the remote areas that are committing suicide, Neil. You know, I mean, I thought the drought was a problem, and it's a huge problem, but it's worse for the doctors where they can't get any help, they can't get locums, they can't, they work night after night, and we want to connect with them. That's what we're trying to do. So... Pray for your doctor, especially if you're out there in, in a remote area. Time to contact us because we'd love to know about him. We'd love to pray for him or her, and we'd love to you know, support them in any way we can. And 
I guess that's what we're on about, Neil. Uh, wonderful about. stuff. And uh, take that encouragement, uh, listeners, uh, when you know your own doctor and uh, if your doctor has faith in Christ, uh, have him connect with the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. Absolutely. Uh, simply uh, Google those terms and uh, no doubt you'll be able to come up with how you connect. Dr. Ernest Crocker is the New South Wales State Chair of the Christian Medical and Dental Fellowship of Australia. We mentioned those couple of books, Nine Minutes Past Midnight, When Oceans Roar. Why don't you Google those and get a hold of them as well? Ernest. Well, I'm at Kurong. And at Kurong, yes. Is it at Kurong? It is. And uh, Ernest, just great, great getting a catch up. And no doubt uh, we'll have an opportunity sometime into the near future. But thanks so much for sharing your thoughts today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.